oh, I had to take this guy to court to get, get my money out of him. That video got 700,000 views in one month and it pushed the rest of my channel up. So my total channel views were a million that month. Is a, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to Lobra as well. Easy Prime is the best Prime on the market, um, in my opinion. I mean, and what takes more work is podcasts. So like, I do not envy you. I've tried. Um, and like, just, just trying to get people to turn up as well. Like, it just took off. And uh, it's had, let's say, about 25,000 views a month. And so give or take, I've made like £100 a month since 2013 out of this one video. It's absolutely insane. It's got 2.6 million views. It's true, though, you'd never stop learning. This episode is sponsored by Trade Choice Carpet and Flooring. Trade Choice are one of the largest independent distributors of floor coverings and products. They specialise in carpet tiles, carpet spirals, LVT screens, tools, everything you would need to run a flooring business. With 13 branches, including the Newcastle one that I visited from Glasgow all the way down to Southampton, they've got 24 hour access ordering via their website. So if you want to set up an account or find your nearest branch, visit tradechoice.com. Now sit back, enjoy the show, and we look forward to seeing you here again soon. Right. Welcome, Ben, to the UK Flooring Podcast. First of all, let's put floor sanding, flooring, flooring industry to one side. Who is Ben Osborne? Who is Ben Osborne? That's one of those questions, is it? You can't really answer it. I mean, I am what what you would expect. I'm, I'm a floor sander. I'm a YouTuber to some degree. Family man. Uh, and there's there's not much more to me. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a... Well, I'm I'm well into my politics and stuff. Always listening to podcasts when I'm when I'm sanding. But um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I've not got many hobbies. Don't have time for hobbies. So that's what I'm about. So floor sanding. Talk to me about that. How did you get into it? When did you start that? So when I was, um, I think I was 17. I was working in a call center, and um, the manager, she, her fella had said, "Oh, is there anyone in there that?" that looks fit and healthy. And I was going to the gym like five days a week at the time. And uh, he offered me the, the grand sum of uh, 40 pounds a day to come and sand floors, which was incredible. I was, oh, wow, I'm going to be rich. And um, so, yeah, I started sanding floors with him. And um, he didn't know as much as, as well, it's like when you're, if you don't know much about something, you don't realise you don't know that much about it. We knew nothing. And uh, we sanded floors really badly for quite a while. I mean, it was just an edger and uh, and a hummel and no buffer. Yeah. Even staining floors like that for quite a while. And then, you know, customer would complain, what's this dark bit around the edge? And we're like, so it's it's quite incredible now because, like, when you do know and you train someone, you can get someone up to, to speed, up to quality relatively quickly. But I've learned so many bad habits over the years. And, like, trying to untangle that, it's just, it's a... Uh, it's been a big problem. So, so started out with a guy on 40 quid a day. Um, at what point did you then go to self-employment? At what, when did you break that? So um, I worked for him for eight years in total. It was a bit on and off. Um, yeah. And then it was 2012 uh, when I got engaged that I wanted to break off and got a little bit of money uh, from a family member to help me with that. A couple of thousand, got a van, got a Hummel. And, and all the tools I needed, and uh, yeah, broke away, started my business. So I've been going since 2012. So a yep. uh, total of 19 years sanding and uh, 11 years in business by myself. And has it always been sanding? You've never dabbled in a bit of fitting or anything of that sort of element? So is it always behind it all? No, I, I have done some fitting, and I'm good at it. I'm just... It, extremely slow so one of my problems is perfectionism and that does not mean i i produce perfection it just means that i'm never happy i overthink everything um and I, i'll try to fix problems that are not they're not even there like uh so yeah i, I just can't make money fitting floors so i try and I, I always end up quoting for it and doing it and then i make horrendous money and i say i'm never doing it again and I only, only really fit herringbone floors for some reason. I can't be bothered with plank. I don't know why, but 
Yeah. Other than that, just wood floors. I've never really done, you know, every now and again you get like a laminate for a friend or something like that, but it's it's pretty much only wood. The business these days, is it still, is it just you? Have you got anyone that works with you or how, how is it currently operationally set up? So at the moment it's just me. Um, normally I have someone like a helper. Um, I've had two in the past. Um, last year I wanted to go more, spend a lot more time doing the YouTube stuff um, because I thought it was more lucrative than it was. Uh, had some, we'll talk about this in a moment, but some false signals um, that led me to think it would be easier to make money than than it was. So I cut, I trimmed down to just me, and I pretty much slowed down the work a lot. Um, but yeah, most of the time I'll have someone with me, and I do want to expand a bit more now. Um, you know, get two or three people on the go. Um, it just makes life so much easier. Just having one or two people with you, like standing by yourself, carrying the, the the machines in and out, it's like the worst part of the job. So, absolutely savage. Um, all you guys that do the sanding on your own, I've said it time on the on the podcast before. It's just easier to have someone with you to lift them in, lift them out, go and get the vacuum, put the dust bags outside. You know, put the kettle on. All those little things can make sanding quite enjoyable but doing it completely on your own which you know i've done that um a few times 95 percent of the time i had someone with me doing it on your own until you've got everything in or everything else it's yeah yeah it's hard graft um so let's move on to youtube what was your first video what what you do just explain for someone that knows nothing about what you've done with youtube uh and where where it's gone and what what you think about it really so I um I I got the idea in like 20 I think it was actually 2012 I didn't start it until 2013 and I went and quoted for a job that was just to recoat an oiled floor and uh, I thought oh, I could make a video out of this and the lady didn't get back to me so I said I rang her and I said look I'll I'll do it for free if you let me record it and and put it on YouTube and um she said yeah sure that's fine I'll give you like 20 quid for lunch or whatever so I went there, got prepped. Funnily enough, it's like the fastest I've ever done it because I got everything in place because I wanted to like pack it in. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't scrub the floor properly. I didn't have any subscribers, so I didn't think it was going to be seen by many people. And uh, I kind of, I hit on something that was, it was just, I, I was a bit lucky because my title was how to refinish a floor without sanding. Right. And um, loads of people have done videos about this now. Um, but it was just, it was a search term. And going for search terms for, for YouTube videos is fine. Um, but generally, you're not going to get that much traffic. Uh, and again, we can get into that in a second. But uh, it was just the fact that it was like, how to get the thing you want without the hard bit that you don't want. So it's, it's kind of like a, a juicy uh, clickbait term. And that video did nothing for like a couple of months. And then I think it was... November 2013, it just took off. And uh, it's had, let's say, about 25,000 views a month. Actually, no, it's come down a lot. But, yeah, it, it was started off about 25,000 views a month, like fairly consistently. Um, and as the traffic's gone down, not by much, the, the, the income per click has gone up. And so give or take, I've made like £100 a month since 2013 out of this one video it's absolutely insane it's got 2.6 million views wow. um and it was really crap i'll be honest with you like <laughs> and i think that of all of my videos i think they're terrible and it absolutely baffles me that they get any views at all um i mean one or two are okay but uh it's just and, and a lot of people are going to hear that and go oh my god i just have to i just have to do that a couple of times i can start building an income and it's like it's like when you've got an employee that that finds out that you charged you know, you, you made a, a thousand pounds in a day on a job, and they go, "Oh my god, if I work two hundred days a year, a thousand pounds a day, I'm going to make two hundred thousand a year." They buy their tools and they're off. Yeah, and you can't tell like no matter how much you try to tell them, it's just not that it, it's not that easy. You're never going to get that every day. You're never not going to have problems. It just it doesn't fall to the bottom line. I think that's pretty much true of everyone that's like split off and, and started their own business, but it's the same with YouTube. It's, it's, it's just not as consistent in its results. 
So how did it, so you did the video in the lady's house, mm. then at what point did you realize that you were going to get paid, even if it was a hundred pound or whatever, what, when did the first money come through and how did that, how does that appear? You know, if someone is where either does it intentionally to monetize it or just puts a video on YouTube, like what happens? So I, I think like most people that, that want to get into YouTube, they've actually looked into it and found out what the requirements are. Um, I think I can't remember now if when because there was a period where if you started a YouTube channel, you could actually sign up for the monetization instantly. So you didn't need to have like a thousand subscribers or, or 4,000 watch hours, which is like the total amount of time that people have watched. So you could just sign up. You just needed to create a Google ads account, um, AdSense, AdSense or ads, yeah, Google AdSense account and link it to your YouTube channel and you could start earning intro, uh, uh, earning instantly. Um, so I, I think that that's what I did. Um, but either way I, I blew past the thousand subscribers and the 4,000 watch hours so quickly. And I have to admit, even though I say YouTube is harder, I think there are very few people that have had an easier time on YouTube than me. There are so many people that make videos again and again and again, week in, week out, even three times a week for years, and they don't get any success. And I was extremely lucky. Um, but yeah, so I, I signed up for the uh, AdSense, started earning instantly. Um, and so it wasn't something like, oh, I know a lot of people will say, oh, I just, just wanted to make videos, you know, something like a little hobby and um, I always question those people if they're being honest. Like everyone wants to just go on YouTube and make money. So, and so, how many videos have you done now? And what's been there? Like, is there a another video you've done that you've monetized even better than the first one? Or what does it look like now? So, I think my next my next big video was um, wood floor refinishing fails, and I think that's got the most views. I think it's got two point eight million, coming up to three million views. And that was, I was listening to stuff online all the time about how to improve like your videos and all that stuff. Um, and that was a, a cocktail of different strategies all in one. I mean, you've got the, I, I, I've got, what's it called? Uh, I'm just, I've got several sections in one video. Like I'm, uh, it's like a compilation. That's the word. So I'm not just critiquing one video. I'm making a compilation instead of having one long, bad critique i'm having a more compact hard hitting critique and then several of them so that the quality in is better in general um but it was also a move away from the search term as a title idea into the the more clickable suggestion algorithm so and this is is more difficult because it's very easy to look for a search term online and say oh that this many people are searching this every month. So I'm going to make a video about that. And hopefully I can get, you know, at least one quick click from all of those. When you're going for suggestion, you have to be very creative in, you have to, you have to write a title that will compel someone to click. Uh, and, and the degree to which you can do that is the degree to which you're successful. And for whatever reason, that one absolutely took off. Again, it started off like a month or two. It didn't do anything. And then it went through the roof. And I got a copyright strike by one of the people that I was criticizing in the video. And um, this guy had like 4.5 million subscribers. Right. And so the, the video had been turned off and it was off for like three months. And I'm emailing this guy. I'm like, what are you doing? This is fair use. So you've got fair use. If you're going to critique someone's videos or include anyone else's content in your videos, um, you have to look up the rules of fair use and make sure you apply it to your video so that it's not just ripping someone off. And, and again, I made this video as a an exemplary model of the fair use thing, but he didn't care. He just wanted to, like, he, he just wanted to punish me because I was criticizing him. So he just, now after three months, he can take me to court if he wants to, or the, the, the ban comes off and he knew that he wouldn't get anywhere in court or wouldn't even be bothered to do it anyway. Uh, and so that the... the that hold came off the video and then it just took off again. And just the, the, the amount of views was staggering. Um, and how much money I earned from that, I can't tell you. I'm not sure. I think I think in one month I had 1,800. But again, it's a video that's more, um, it stays relevant. So you've got, you've got videos that like you'll put up, especially like in politics, it's dead. If not like a week, it's even in a few days, no one's going to watch it. 
And the same with like Jake Paul and Logan Paul and all that sort of stuff. Mr. Well, not Mr. Beast. His his content is a slightly more longer term, but mine is mine does last. It's an evergreen content. Um, so that has got more views over time. So I've made much more money out of it over you know over a long period of time. Um, and then another video that I I did, which just this is the reason why I went into or wanted to spend more time making videos last year. And that's the video where I talked about how I took my customer to court. And uh, I didn't know he was a solicitor until we were in court. And um, and so, yeah, I, I made this video and I, I pinched the idea um, that like the thumbnail and title idea from my friend who has an electrician's channel. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I thought I've got a much better story because I took this guy to court. I didn't know that he was a solicitor. I should have said lawyer. They don't say solicitor in America. So all, all loads of the views, most of my, my viewers are usually American. But in this case, I was getting mostly British uh, viewers. And I just missed a trick so badly that I should have said lawyer. I should have forgotten solicitor. There's a little lesson. Always check. If you want a worldwide audience, you need to check that the language that you're using is relevant. And I, I've got a friend who's, He's got like a tile, much more successful, like tile fitting channel and, and LVT and whatnot. And um, I always check, do you, do you understand this term? You know, do you, does this make sense? Uh, because if you, if it doesn't, you're not going to get any clicks in America. So, um, but anyway, so I put, put up this video. It was 19 minutes of me whinging in the side of my van about how I, how I had to take this guy to court to get, get my money out of him. That video got 700,000 views in one month. And it pushed the rest of my channel up. So my total channel views were a million that month. You know, people think of like getting views on shorts and, and TikTok. Like that, that is so easy by comparison. Um, I've just put up a, a reel about a month ago now. It's got 10 million views. Nothing to show for it apart from people going, oh, well done. Like that's it really. But yeah, you get some some inquiries but a million, those million views that figures, I got from some figures, because it's like, well, I earned six thousand pounds that month, one video, and what's more is that my videos that I do are flaws. I, I spend so much time, like messing with the cameras, trying to get the shot right, and then editing. Like video editing, when you're a perfectionist, yeah. is a nightmare. Yeah. It's the it's 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 hell. I've spent entire weeks of full days doing one video. This video, I, I I quickly wrote out like a, a script, like a, just a vague, because sometimes I am just off all over the place. And I read it twice. And then I, set, I sat on the side of my van, set the camera up. I recorded it an hour. I edited it in an hour. And I pushed my income up by, you know, can't remember what I was earning at the time, maybe about a thousand a month just from my residual views. Yeah. up to 6,000. So I'm thinking, God, if I can just do, you know, I don't need to hit every month. If I can do one of those a month, you can't do one of those a month. It's just, it doesn't work like that. And and the reason why the the income was so high was because I, I this is my theory. You can, with a lot of these things, you can only theorize, but I was talking about going to court. Um, and when it comes to law and stuff, the, the, it's an ad marketplace. So whoever's paying for the ads on your videos if you talk about internet business, what you earn is is astronomical. It's so high. Yeah. Uh, if you're Mr. Beast, you earn nothing, but you just gets millions, millions, millions of views. DIY is actually not too bad, but it's not as good as as that. So I think that's the reason why I earned that much. Because now last year, in November or October, I had two million views in one month on the long form content, the content that you can actually earn money from. And I got 4,500. And right. I was like, oh, okay. And then the next few videos I came out, I, I had one. I was, was going to bin it. I just thought it was that bad. The lighting was horrific. And I had the wrong settings on my camera. It's all blurry. Somehow I managed to get 300,000 views. And the ad rates were just going down and down and down. And I'm thinking, what the bloody hell's going on? Like, I'm, I'm trying my best to, to put out content. And so, and, but to, in order to get those kind of views, you need to put out quality content. If you want to, you know, these people that say you need to do a video a week, I mean, if you can, if the type of content permits that, then great. But if you're sanding floors and you do like, you're doing a pile of floorboard every week, which is, you know, 
And then you've got to have the right situation in the room and like, has it been sanded before? Ideally, you need a good before and after transformation. Um, it's just not possible. It's not possible. And then you've got the editing. And to edit, edit it in the way that you want, believe it or not, like paying editors, editors can cut up videos and do everything physically, but you still actually need like a kind of a producer mindset in thinking about how the story runs through the video. And anyway, I think I've... I love that. I think, yeah, that. I think like, yeah, monetizing anything though, like people would assume you just record a video on your phone or on a camera, you know, put it through a bit of software and chuck it out on YouTube and you get paid. But like most things, you know, like as you said, I think you, it touched on at the beginning where you, an employee sees, bloody hell, you've earned like four grand this week, not taking into account skill set or, or value or the evenings of learning or, or whatever. But to actually do anything, you need that education and and that adaptation of anything. So like, um, and for YouTube, you know, you if you did it full time, you're not just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. You're going to have to keep learning where things are. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. That it isn't. Well, I didn't think it was as simple, but I didn't know enough about it to know if it was simple or not. So I think that's really interesting. But if you had the choice and you kind of figured out other um, things, would you rather be doing videos on floor sanding and other subjects full time? Or do you think you'd stick with the flooring industry and be out on the tools if you really, I know you said you nearly went over there, but where, where are you now with that? Well, it's interesting that you, you asked that because I mean, I, I, I kind of, I don't want to just sand floors for the rest of my life. I'm not saying it's it's impossible to make a, a consistent living out of um, doing things online uh, like YouTube and, and uh, various other things, but um, it, it is difficult. But at the same time, so I, part of the problem is, is that you have to do so many things. Um, and that's, again, and it's like you said, you think you just record a, a, a video on your phone, upload it to YouTube and bang, it's done. Um, it takes so much work. I mean, and what takes more work is podcasts. So like, I do not envy you. I've tried. Um, and like, just, just trying to get people to turn up as well. Like you uh, kind of had to push me a little bit just to, and I, and I felt that I felt bad making it difficult even to the degree I did. It's so difficult to run a podcast and everyone's like, do you want, yeah, you know, I want to start a podcast. I get messages all the time. The amount of floor sanders that message me saying they're going to start a, a, a YouTube channel. Oh my God. I'm so, and I tell them every week, someone else says that to me and I don't think they believe me every week. Someone tells me they're going to start a YouTube channel. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of time. And, uh, yeah. So, but it, the, the skills I have learned, like, even though I wouldn't say I'm that, I wouldn't say I'm that successful on YouTube. Um, from various different perspectives. Uh, I mean, having five videos with over 2 million views is is actually, especially in floor sanding, is quite mad. But, you know, I've only got like 80 or 79,000, 78,000 subscribers. Even though I'm, I feel like I'm only there, like the amount of knowledge that I've learned to get there is like, I could talk about thumbnails and titles for hours, literally. Like what I've learned about lighting and uh, the lighting's terrible in here, by the way, and the camera's terrible. Like microphones should be fairly good, yeah. but um, the amount of stuff that I've learned about that, and I am I am very interested in viewer retention, um, intros, uh, all of that stuff. I'm fascinated by, and so and I get other people telling me they want to start a channel. I've got a friend who's very serious about it, and I've said to him, I want to get into it. I want to get into the ideation. I want to get into. Uh, creating the idea and the, and the thumbnail and the title for that and the storyline, the pacing, everything to to make, to in, increase the viewer retention. I'm so into it. So I, I, I happen to think that these are going to be very highly paid jobs in the future as well. You're going to have people that are thumbnail specialists that are like earning 300 grand a year, intro specialists, viewer retention specialists, um, Title spec, the title, if you're good at titles, yeah, 300 grand a year, easy. I think that's the way it's going to go. So I do want to go in something like that. I've just realized it's it's, it's a lot for me to do. If I wanted to get like a, a full-time video editor and uh, 
and really uh, I, I need help with the, the filming and stuff, I then need to, in, like, I need to earn much more for that. And there's just not that much in it with the floor. And I've tried to get sponsors. My goodness, it's difficult. And I've, I've, I've given up on that. So it, it, it is a lot of work. As I said, the podcast, I started on my kitchen table with just a, a mic to see if it worked. And then, you know, we, we've got a podcast producer. You know, so I can't take any credit for any of the um, editing. And then when we have done sort of, um, our mutual friend Danny and some other, you know, sort of um, with cameras involved, that goes to someone else. You know, it's like, so it's produced, uh, the audio is done in one, and then full production sort of professional cameras are done somewhere else. And then when you've done, you know, that's one episode for an hour. So it's a lot of resources and a lot of people. And that's on like a, you know, we're not talking on Stephen Barlett's scale, but we're, you know, we're talking a few thousand uh, downloads a month. Um, but to do it, every week to that standard and above, you know, I'd need a team of three minimum to do that. You know, we've got full-time, uh, we've got two full-time content creators and social media. They don't just obviously just do the podcast, but we are creating content every day just to, you know, to, with clips and things and we're micro. So, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I, again, I think it's like anything, you try to get good at anything, you, you, it, it is a lot harder than you actually assume. Floor sanding wise, what do you think the biggest challenge running a floor sanding business in the UK, what what you really struggled with? That is an interesting question. Um, and it's a, a lucrative question. Like when you ask those kind of questions, especially if you're asking to many people, it's it's the people, isn't it? It's the it's the hiring and firing uh, and training people up, and hopefully them not leaving and starting their own business. That's I think the biggest uh, biggest problem in floor sanding. Um, one thing I, I always say about like uh, electricians and plumbers, they connect it up and they test it. It's it's a binary result. I mean, yeah, you could do some ugly work. Um, but on the whole, it's like, does it work? Doesn't it work? Did you do the, the work properly? Were you messy? Whatever. We're, we're dealing with floors that are, as, as a floor sand, you're dealing with floors that are anything from, what, brand new to 200 years, sometimes older if it's if it's good enough. But And you've got all sorts of problems that you can that, that can happen and, and can mess up the job and delay you and stuff. So it's it's very difficult to forecast how long something's going to take. Sometimes you, you look at a floor, you don't quite realise it's aluminium oxide with that tough as rock Irish, uh, so not Irish, Irish, Chinese uh, oak. And it's, um, yeah, so you, you end up 30, it's a small living room, you end up 36ing the entire day and you thought you were going to get, you know, finished by the end of that day. So, um, yeah, that's that's it. It's, it's, it's not as predictable a business Um I think that's that's one of the main things with it. But yeah, that the people. Have you asked other people this, and what have they said? People is quite a um, out in in all parts of the sort of flooring industry. People is one of the big things for people are growing businesses. Like like you know, everyone's different. So it's uh, so yeah, it's probably the most prolific answer is people um, across across the industry getting the right people. And that's in sales jobs. That's in management jobs. Floor sanding, LBT retail, all the way across. It's it's yeah, different people. Um, bit, but to build businesses, you need people. That's the biggest challenge to get the right people. Finding them, I think actually finding them is the biggest one. Not just dealing with them as well. So, what's your favorite products? What brand? Well, as soon as you ask that, one thing springs to mind, and it's it's no longer my favorite product. It just really annoyed me. <laughs> and that is the. <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed this, but over the past couple of years, the quality of abrasives, well, I don't know, you, you know, you're not, I don't think you're sanding floors or. But... I, I'm no longer, so yeah, we sold our sanding business sure. seven years ago. So, But a lot of other people have noticed that the quality of abrasives like went down in a lot of brands and, uh, uh, you know, you get a new abrasive out and they go, oh, everyone's like, you know, this is the stuff, this is amazing. And uh, I never, you know, knocked off my feet by anything I see except for the 3M Cubitron 2s for the Rotex and they were unbelievable 
unbelievable. I remember I was uh, uh, sanding the edge of a pine floor and I went from, <laughs> this sounds very dodgy, I went from 36 grit on the edger with filler on top to 120 grit um, with the Rotex. Wow. And I did 20 linear meters with one disc. Wow. Perfectly clean. And then all of a sudden, I got one batch of them, and I don't know if, if they've been fixed since then. Maybe they had a bad batch, but they are absolutely gutless. So useless that they're sat in my garage. I, I don't even use them. I avoid using them. Like I might just chuck them away. And it's just very strange that it went from so good. The abrasives were actually sharp. You felt like you could cut yourself on them, and now they feel very smooth. Yeah. Um, but there were a few other brands that, for some reason, the quality went down massively. Um, but sorry, what was what was the the actual question you asked me? Your favorite go to products are like lacquers and oils. Maybe stick like, like I mean, sandpaper's cool, but but also you know the a lot of people have different you know they've used them for years or they've tried different things. Um, but like most products, you've got to be a hundred percent confident in the result. Um, sure. That's what I found when we were floor sanding. You know, it wouldn't always be on price, so it would always be on. Even on quality, it would be application speed and lots of different things. And being comfortable with the product, I found irrelevant to the price, irrelevant to brand. It was if it's at six o'clock at night, I know what result I'm going to get, um, and I know what result I'll get in six years' time. That I haven't had a callback. That's that was normally the the two things we were basing on. You know, it might go on lovely, but last ten minutes, that's no use to me. I want something that'll go on lovely, but um, I'm not going to get a callback. So what, what, yeah. what have you, again, we're not going to slay anyone, but we'll do the positive. So what, what have you used and then what is your go-to products and why? Um, so, uh, and it pains me to say it, but um, Bonner Traffic HD is, is just in terms of, so ease of, when it comes to lacquers, obviously you need it to look good, uh, lay out well, um, but ease of application when you're running a business is massive, especially if you're delegating um, and you've got employees putting down coats for you. So it, it does need to be very, it does need to be very forgiving. And I think that Bonotraffic HD is so forgiving and at the same time so hard and it lays out so well and you could have a problem with it and like roll another bit over it and it'll just... Uh, unfold, I, I don't know what it is because I find like their customer service is not great. Whenever I've had technical issues... And well, it's, they seem to be great with everyone else. I don't know what it is with me. Like, and I've tried to be, you know, I try to have them as a, a sponsor. And um, I don't know, they're just, they've been so cold with me. I have no idea why. I, I've even promoted their products on my videos for free. Got no thanks for that. Got no thanks from anyone for anything like that. Um, but at the end of the day, I switched from Junkers. So I used to be like a devout Junkers user. And then all the problems with their uh, Junkers Strong um and occasionally traf uh, the uh, commercial uh, it was in fact I, I used commercial again recently because i find it has a bigger build than um traffic hd and i was i was sanding a red oak floor which we don't see that much in the uk and i didn't want the grain to be so open and accept so much dirt into it and stuff and i i started using it, i think you know this is brilliant i'm like why did i stop using this and then I started getting snots in the lacquer. I was like, ah, oh, I remember now. That's why I stopped using that. So traffic HD, you just, you can't go wrong. Even the primer, a lot of people complain about the uh, the classic primer. And it, it feels weird because it's so watery, but for, I've just never had a problem with it. It's just, it's perfect. Um, and I and I am trying to get away from like the, the, the solvent finishes, uh, the, especially the solvent primers, because I do love to just whack it. I'll use a base prime and you know, primer seal. Uh, having said that, I have moved to, um, I'm using a lot more Loba Easy Finish and I've had my differences with Loba in the past. Um, I wasn't too happy about the way some of their product, products worked. Um, but their new stain, so I don't know if anyone knows that's listening to this, but there's Alex Jeekins. He's a, he was a contractor, he had a business yeah. in Essex and uh, now he's working for, oh, he has been on the podcast. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And um, I said to him, when he started working with Loba, and I'm not taking credit saying, oh, Loba's done this because I said something. I said that, that there's such a gap in the market for a, a good stain that's buffable 
and has a good open time and doesn't bleed back out of oak. There's like nothing like it in the UK and they've come out um, with this Loba stain and I do think it's absolutely brilliant. The price is not so brilliant, you know, doing samples with such expensive stain is a real pain, especially when they're like, you're mixing some up and I can have a little bit more of that and then a little bit more of that. It's like, oh, there's five quid, there's, there's 10 quid, okay. Uh, yeah, I've, I've moved over to Easy Finish. Easy Finish is a, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give this to Loba as well. Easy Prime is the best prime on the market, um, in my opinion. Again, it's it's got a, a thicker build. And there's one thing I will say about um, traffic is that sometimes it just feels and looks a little bit thin. Um, so you've got the Tabor machine, you know, the Tabor machine that will check like a thousand rubs on a bit of lacquer and see how many milligrams or micrograms or whatever it is has been removed. Um, but it doesn't take into account build. So if something's got a slower or a lower um, Tabor measure, but it's got a much thicker build, then you've got to take that into account because it might be... Um, you know, it might not wear as well, but it's much thicker. So, you know, in some applications, and especially for not letting dirt into the the open grain, it might be better. So, yeah, I do like Easy Finish and Easy Prime. That's kind of I want to get away from mixing up lacquers all the time. Obviously, I still I still use two components as much as I can for oh, well, always obviously for for commercial work. Usually, I'm doing that with Burger Seedle nowadays. Um, that's a great lacquer. Um, it does feel a little bit cheap. I feel really bad saying these things, like, but, but there's something about it. I don't. It doesn't have that same ease of application. Even though it goes down fine, it goes down in a way where you're worrying about it. Yeah. Uh, have you, do you know what I mean? Like sometimes when you're putting down a lacquer, you're like absolutely fine. Sometimes you're putting it down, you're going, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't feel right. So yeah, those, those are my my products, that, that my go-to products. I think my my, my mindset on sandings. As in probably seven years out of date, I've done bits and bobs, and but yeah, it's not. And I, and I think it was still the same when we were doing it. We obviously had the used to use a lot of Yunkers, then we had the Yunkers, um, was it Strong Plus that went a bit pink on. I mean, yeah. give them the due. I mean, Premium. we did four schools with Strong Plus or whatever it was called, and every single one went pink on. But they supported, they you know, we sanded it off and they helped a lot of people and um, a lot of people weren't happy because obviously they had big you know everyone came in just before the summer holidays we all did it and they all they all went wrong so granted to that they fixed it um then we went on to, we always then on certain jobs went on to bonnet um but again it had to be the right person on the end of the roller or the t-bar whatever we're using you got someone that had slightly less experience use bonnet you'd end up with lap marks and things like that if you didn't know what you're doing but then as you said, the the lower easy prime and stuff like that. Anyone could put it on if you had a, you know your eyes half open, um, and and it was easier. You know, as it says, it's it was um, easy to prime, easy to finish, and it was a bit quicker to dry as well on the uh, the than Bonner. But I think it's, it's down to application. You know, I think you're right with the the Bonner H, HD um, to, to traffic. You know, even what. 20 years ago, it was Bonner traffic and it was people used to ask for it. They used to you go around to price the job and they're like, oh, can we have that that Bonner? Can we have a Bonner traffic? We're like, how do you know about that? Um, and, you know, and they'd had it before. So um, and I think it's good to specify it per job. So it's again, depending on which job it is, depending on what wood, you can then select the product. Um, that's what I always found. But again, my knowledge is a little bit outdated with the sanded stuff, certainly with abrasives and things like that. I think when I, when we sold our business, the flexi sand had just come out, literally the first ever flexi, we had one. Um, but then, you know, that's how old it is. And I don't know how many sort of um, different versions of it around now, but yeah, we, we, we got the first, one of the first ever ones available. So, so, so can you, I don't know if you had time to digest, but can you think of any advice you've received? Um, there's been a really good bit of advice that you, you still use to this day. Well, I mean, when you asked, I mean, the first thing that jumps to my mind was uh, Lewis Huntington. He's a guy that sands all over the country. He's been doing it a very long time. And uh, he came to like kind of teach me and my old boss how to sand parquet floors. He taught us incorrectly. 
So just like many people, if anyone wants to say that you sound a herringbone parquet floor diagonally, you're wrong. Like, for goodness sake, like read, read the manual. Like, I get so many people arguing, I've been doing this 30 years, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, you go straight, you go across. You look concerned. If I just offended you, do you like sand a, a herringbone floor on an angle? Like, Lewis Huntington, he said to me, and I think he'd only been sanding it for 12 years at that point, and this is 2006, actually. And uh, he said, you'll never stop learning. And... um and I kind of, I understood, but as time's gone on, I've always been open to learning and to being incorrect. And um, one of the things that I've had in the past is uh, employees wondering why I'm asking them what to do. And I'm asking them genuinely, what do you think we should do? Normally after I ask that, I say, no, you're wrong because X, Y, Z. But I'm trying to get a different perspective. I'm trying to test my own thinking. And the funny thing is, though, is that sometimes you 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 learn something, you internalize it, and you can't remember why you learned that lesson. And someone will say, why don't we do it this way? And you can't remember. And say, well, I haven't got good arguments, so let's do it. This has happened to me a couple of times. And then we do it, and it goes wrong, and I go, oh, yeah, I remember now. I remember how how I learned that lesson and internalized it. It's true, though, you'd never stop learning. No. Um, and I've... Great point. Great point. Um, I ran a business. We had 20, 20 odds installers, sanders, etc. And I ran the business coming from a way of it's my business and we'll run it my way. And that's what I did for many years. And the minute I started asking, um, I mean, what we've got now, we've got 11 people here now. And now I start exactly the same as you. I don't start from this is what we're going to do. I start with, what do you think? What do you think? You know, give me some solutions before we've even got into what I think. And then it reminds me so many times, yeah, that's it. I mean, my business partner in the digital agency is world-class at it because I'll come up with some hair-brand idea, brilliant. And he'll just say, what about this? And I'm like, that's just so much a better idea. But in past tense, so I, I love that. That's it. Brilliant, uh, you know, on a small scale, big scale, it doesn't matter, but that's that's how I've found maintaining relationships with, well, even friends, family, and staff. Just asking first um, and asking good questions rather than telling. That, that's, you know, it's just, that that's when everything changed me because I went out of a horrific manager, stroke owner, which I hope now I'm more approachable. Um, and it was just simply asking before opening my own mouth. Um, and I don't know what the switch was. I think it was more training. I did more knowledge myself, which was like, there's a different way to communicate with people. And that way definitely didn't work. Um, and it, it didn't get me very far. I mean, you know, we built the business, but the, the other way is easier and you actually get a better result. So it's like, you know, like anything. And sometimes they will, even when they're really new, they'll come up with something that's actually an innovation. It's it's better than, you know, oh my God, that's genius. Like there is, is value. It can it can be either a teachable moment for them, um, you know, or, or, and you can explain why, you, well, it doesn't work quite that way because X, Y, and Z. But, it, and it's not that rare. You know, they do suggest things that are, you know, you hadn't, hadn't occurred to you because you get so fixed in your thinking. Um, I, don't, I hate the idea that I've become so ossified in my thinking that I can't actually realize, you know, when you learn something new and you realize, you realize that you were just so closed off to, you didn't, you, you couldn't see it before. And then once you see it, like, how did I not see that before? So I'm always, because I'm always trying to learn like that. Yeah. That that's, that's my philosophy. It can also be connected to your standards, you know, your standards of work, your standards of living, your standard of what you think is okay. And that's different with everything and that again that that can also aid your perception of things you know if whatever i think that's when i did start looking at it you know where kind of describe the best way to describing it but, but like you said it's um everyone's perceptions are different so it's like what it doesn't have to be like a standard of work but it's of what's coming out of your mouth and what you're thinking about you know so it's yeah and I have to admit that I'm, when it comes to managing people, I'm not that skillful. There are a fair few skills that I just 
I'm not going to say I just don't have, like I can't acquire them. I just haven't acquired them. I think one of the problems with um, hiring people, you were asking about what the biggest problem is with sounding, um, it's that people don't actually practice it. And I've said this to my brother. He, My twin brother owns a, a phone repair shop. Put an ad out, get applications in, and interview 10 people. I've never done that. The last guy I hired, actually, he was, I mean, he was 21 or so, 22. And it just so happens, the first guy I interviewed, I, I just thought, yeah, he's spot on. And he was. He, he worked really hard, you know, to be a young guy and turn up on time every single day. And when he's sick, he ha he insists he comes into work to kind of work it off. Was very rare. I mean, I, I, I was lucky to find a good, but I found, I put an ad out. I did put an ad out and I did have like 17 applications. And I think the problem that people have in floor sanding is that we're technicians. Here's, here's a good book that everyone should read is uh, The E-Myth. Have you read The E-Myth? Yeah, e yeah, so it, we are technicians in our business. We start out with sanding, sanding floors and stuff, and then we want to start our own business, and we carry on being technicians. But you're a business owner now, um, and, yeah, you can have a small business where you're just being a technician and doing your craft every day, but if you actually want to grow a business, then there's a lot of skills you need to learn. And one of them is hiring and firing. So you need to advertise for positions. Um, it's I, I think for me, because I always think oh, it's just going to be a waste of money. I don't know why it's going to be a waste of money. And, and I think that getting trained people is, is actually not as good as training people. Um, you know, trying to undo some bad habits that people have. You know, if, you could, if you, you're lucky enough to get a, a very highly trained person and bring them in, uh, then great. But um, I think there's people are too scared of training people. I've I had my friend come and help me on a job, and I trained him to use the Hummel in half an hour, twenty minutes. He did all the Hummeling on that job, and the pictures, you know, after sanding and stuff, wasn't grinding it with the trio. You know, they were good enough to put on my website. It's it's not that hard to learn, and and it's as tough as it is to say that. Um, if you believe you can, you know how to, to how to direct people. So yeah, that's that's when it comes to that problem. I think that it's more of a problem of the type of people that run these businesses. Um, just like me, I'm like ADHD as well, and I think I think that all of the trades, like far more than the professional uh, work, it's workers. There's so many more like ADHD people. We're disorganized. We can't. If if you're all an organized person in a trade, you're just going to murder your competition. Like, but yeah, I think actually put the job ads out, interview people, and practice the skill. Everything that you are not good at, if you just practice that skill, and instead of shying away from it, um, that's that's the the best thing to do. And so we on our classes, we do stuff on recruitment and, and things like that. What we've learned, what works, and um, a really interesting one that big learning curve for us. We we hired a content creator. Um, we interviewed many people that have been in agencies. We interviewed um, some with no experience and all different types of things. And, and Jenny, that's been with us a couple of years now, um, she worked in a restaurant, worked in retail, but she then edited YouTube videos um, and her own personal. So rather than watching TV, she did Photoshop um, and basically produced her own content for her own entertainment, basically, not commercially. And what we asked for was a, um, you could already submit, you, you're not allowed to submit, submit your CV. To start with, you need to submit a video of the five reasons why you would be perfect for the job. And so she, she made a, an edit in her own time of why to employ her. And it had things coming from like different angles and shooting in and, you know, so a little bit of like special effects. And, the video just kind of blew us away thinking, you know, this is someone with no commercial experience. And at the time you choose an apprentice um, content creator, she fitted all the values of the company. She did what we asked her to do. And again, on paper, on a CV, she looked terrible, you know, cause it said, you know, so-and-so served behind a bar, um, worked in a shoe shop. And we're like, and what relevance has this got to a, a training provider or what? And then, you know, but then when she actually exercised her talent um, for what she did as a hobby, we're like, this is, and now she's given really sort of technical work and a brief 
and she just nails it every time. So you've got to you've got to see beyond sometimes the paper, but also ask sometimes a little bit outside the box. Like you know, as I said, you you couldn't apply for our job without video. If you didn't do a video, you're not even getting thing and sanding work or fitting work. Sometimes we say, well, get them to come in on a Saturday. And and that might be, again, like you said, if they turn up at 8 o'clock on a Saturday, well, they're the past. There's, there's one thing they've passed. They've actually turned up. They weren't late. You know, have they turned up with their lunch or, or half hung over? Well, we haven't even got the, you know, I haven't got the umlaut out the van yet. And then it's like, you know, asking them some questions and sort of get and see if they can deal with customers or certainly be human with other customers. And you've not even got to the main graph bit yet. So it's uh, it, it's just something that you've got to persevere with it, you know, it, yeah. and, and find find to get the best out of people. And the ones that don't turn up on time and don't do this, well, let them go and work somewhere else. So, um, is, that, is, is Jenny full-time with you? Yes, yes. Oh, damn, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She sounds good. No, she's absolutely brilliant. But again, you just, it really surprised me. Um, and I think the other thing that, I mean, we weren't going to watch this, but another thing that I learned again from Jenny is we do monthly appraisals, et cetera, with our team, all of them. And one of the questions on the appraisal is, um, is there a skill that you're currently not using um, within the business that you feel you should be using or something around that line? And, That's a great question. And, That's brilliant. And she, she has to write this down before the appraisal. And she always been doing edits. She'd been doing lots of different things. And she said, I'd really like to look at um, a little bit more design work from scratch. And right at that point, we had a client, uh, actually Cook, great guy, uh, wanted to rebrand his um, flooring business. And, you know, he bought a new van, and, um, T-shirts. He just wanted everything. And I literally pulled it into the review and said, Jenny, what about this? She went, I'd love to do that. Three... Um, Three concept, one approved, done and dusted. Like, if I hadn't asked that question, we were going to subcontract that job out because, you know, as it wasn't really what, you know, Jenny was there to create content, not a be a graphic designer as such. So we made an assumption that it might have been either above her pay grade or just wasn't what we'd employed to do. But we asked her that question and we, and I said, now Ashley Cook's fans driving around uh, where he is. Um, are all designed by Jenny just by asking that question in a monthly appraisal. Um, and she's done multiple others. Now we've just done another one um, for another client that's gone from something contracts to something flooring. Um, again, there's the brief, turn it round. There's what it looks like on T-shirts, fans. And now it's second age. We hadn't asked that question. We wouldn't have got, you know, we would have continued to stay in our comfort zone, subcontract out to a, a designer where Jenny wanted to, be more creative at work. So, so, which you can do with sanding floors, LBT, being a top owner, it doesn't matter, just asking them questions. It's um, it's normally the one where people say, I've got a problem with this member of staff. It's like, when was the last time you did an appraisal? Or oh, we don't do them. There's your first problem before you even, we talk about the the um, the, the member of staff. Hmm. Cool. Right, I've got a few quick fire questions for you, Ben. Um, if I gave you a thousand quid, um, and you had to spend it before you go to bed tonight, what would you spend it on? Gold. Gold? <laughs> yeah, I'm into investing. Gold and silver, crypto, love all that stuff. Yeah. Do, do you think, um, have you got any money in Bitcoin or Ethereum, or is it different stuff? Uh, yeah, I've got some money in Ethereum. I, I was, um, I, I invested in Bitcoin quite early, uh, and so I did quite well out of that. Um, yeah, tw- 2011. The first ones I bought were for four pounds each, so uh, yeah, and I'm not a fan of Bitcoin anymore. There are so many. Um, it's interesting because none of the technologists got into into um, Bitcoin in the beginning. Um, investors didn't get into it. It's like there's a, a particular group of, and it was gold and silver investors, people that understood. I'm fascinated by economics. I listen to lots of podcasts about economics and stuff. It was all people in that one domain. Everyone got into it from there. So. Um, and I, I track it and I pay attention to actually how it works and stuff. And um, there are so many outside forces trying to prevent it from actually becoming a fully functioning money that the world can use. Bitcoin is completely destroyed, um, even though it's still the, the market leader. Ethereum is currently in the process of being destroyed. 
and it looks like we're going to keep moving on to different cryptos. But at the moment, I still have most of my holdings in Ethereum. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I do I, like that stuff. I don't understand it whatsoever, but what I do know um, is I, I can't remember what it was, can't remember what the price it was, but I have 50 quid into Bitcoin, and it's now worth 700 quid. Um, and so... That's just yeah. that's just that's just technology we've got. I've got a few a few quid in Ethereum as well. Again, it's more than I paid for it, but it's not dramatically more. Yeah. Uh, but again, my mindset's always that that evening I put the fifty quid in thing. Well, if it's fifty quid, it's fifty quid. What if I'd stuck a grand in? You know, that may have been a yeah. bit of a different story. When I first started buying them, I I didn't actually buy that much, but um, and I wanted to buy a lot more, and I had friends that had a lot more, and uh, I just. I don't know. I was broke at the time, a long time ago, just before I started my business. Um, and uh, yeah, I just never managed to get that much more. I, luckily, I traded it against Ethereum. Uh, but on that subject, um, so do you, oh, you probably don't know, Bitcoin has this thing called the halvening, which means that the amount that's produced gets cut in half every four years. Right. And that's what causes these spikes that happen every few years. I've been through three of them now. And so, and if you overlay those charts between the, the when it started, the first halvening, first halvening to second halvening, second halvening to third halvening, it always starts ri uh, rising six months before the halvening. The next halvening is in April, so it started rising in o o October. So it's just started, I don't know if you've noticed it started going up. up yeah. yeah, no one's talking about it. Everyone's still licking their wounds how they lost so much money last time. And this is when the, the smart money is getting in. When it actually halvens, it usually then drops a little bit. It's like buy the rumor, sell the fact. And then that's when it starts to go off again and parabolic. So from, you know, best time to get in was actually October, but the next best time is today. We don't know if it's going to do the same thing as it has in the past. There's no reason to believe it won't. Uh, and it's still a risky asset. But yeah, I'm definitely, when, going back to the question, I'm not the type to just spend it on nonsense and yeah you know i don't i'm not a flashy person particularly so investing um what is your least favorite part of your current business my website needs fixing the least favorite part of my business or your job um, the question is your job or obviously business job what what do you least like favorite thing to do within the business when you're lacquering out of a front door and there's no porch and it's raining, that really annoys me. Just, again, I hate getting the tools out, but getting the tools out when it's raining, like having to move, like if there's not enough space and you're sanding the floor and you're moving your tools around, that winds me up. Um, yeah, I don't know, there's plenty of things. I think most people that do floor sanding enjoy it. If it's a floor that's just it's not too much of a, Bastard! I can, I can say that on this podcast, but Absolutely. it's not too much of a bastard, um, especially if it's like oak. We do enjoy our jobs. Customers can ruin that. Um, oh, here's another thing I was going to say. That that reel that I've just done, it's got 10 million views. It's got 500,000 likes. There's lots of people commenting going, wow, wow. And it really did look, I didn't play with the colors. I didn't up the saturation or anything like that. It looked like that in real life. And what was that reel on again? What, what was that? That was on Instagram. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, and um, when I went back to take the final pictures and the final shot, I knock on the door and she opens the door. She goes, hi, Ben. Turns around and walks off and I'm like, like I want her to be singing about how beautiful this floor is. And... Um, I go into the room and I'm like, you know, I love it. Absolutely love it. I put the last coat on whilst it was dark, I think. Um, I knew it was going to look good. And I, and I kind of said, what do you think? And she said, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very nice. And I just wanted to, like, <laughs> the amount of time I've spent, I'm just trying to get it absolutely perfect. And all these people online, and I get that a lot. I don't, I don't know why I don't, I don't get as good a response from my customers as I think. So that's another thing. I think a lot of people will say, if you didn't have to deal with the customers, um, you know, I've just had a friend, like, he's just done the most amazing job on a floor. Um, expensive floor. And the customer's gone, mm, don't like the colour. Even though they chose the colour, they want to yeah. change it now. And it's just, but especially, like, the amount of effort that was, I was helping him with it, the amount of effort that he put into it, um, it's just... Uh, 
it's horrendous. Like it's the customers that are the problem. As long as you've got a nice oak floor, you, you could do that every day. We'd all be happy, I think. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Brilliant. Um, three people you would like to have a pint of beer with, dead or alive. See, instantly I'm going into politics. Fine. You can have <laughs> um, if you wish. Andrew Jackson, who was an American president in the 1830s. Uh, that sounds really geeky, uh, but because he shut down the central bank like a legend and they tried to assassinate him and both pistols misfired. Um, dead or alive. Um, I'm going to come up with some really crap answers just because I'm, I'm trying to come up with them quickly. There's loads of people, again, like Benjamin Franklin. Um, I've got to do one alive. Yeah. Roger Ver. He's a, he's a billionaire in the crypto space. Um, he's grown these businesses um, even before he got into a, a even before he became a billionaire with crypto. He was a multi-millionaire. He's a master business builder, and uh, I just had the same passions as him in terms of the politics and the the economics and stuff. Um, he's one person I'd like to shake his hand. So, no. Roger Ver, yeah. Brilliant. It's funny because he's not massively famous, and he really should be. But, um, but yeah, he's worth like more than ten billion. I think he's he's, he's a wow. maniac. So, yeah, uh, we could get some good advice from him. That would have been yes. Yeah, <laughs> get a few tips. Hot tips. And the final question on the podcast is: What is currently holding you back? My own procrastination. I would say it's it's always got to be yourself, isn't it? You can't you can't pick a, an external thing. Uh, my own procrastination, perfectionism, self-doubt um, is a big thing, um, which all kind of are part of each other. But I'd probably say procrastination and laziness, if I'm honest with myself, I'd say that's holding me back massively. So, Brilliant. And where can people find, what's the YouTube handle, what's the website, where can people find you if they want to suss you out online? So uh, my sanding business is Osborne Woodcare, um, and then the YouTube business is How to Sand a Floor, which isn't the greatest branding. Um, and then my Instagram has become this kind of halfway house because I want to use it for both, and that's at Ben on Floors. So I uh, managed to get up to sixteen thousand followers on that because of that last reel. So, uh, um, but that's pretty much it. I've also got a website, howtosandafloor.com. There's a lot of information on there that needs redesigning as well. Like. My websites are terrible. But, yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, I wasn't going to ask it, but now you mentioned about the Instagram because it's more of a selfish question. What would be three top tips to increase your following on Instagram? Well, I mean, I know, I, I, did, I, I was actually thinking about talking about this earlier when I, was, when I knew I was going to be on the podcast, but you have to think, the way I've done that reel, there's no, I'm not speaking in it, and I knew that it would be, it would appeal to the entire world, and that's one of the reasons why it got so many more views. And there's loads of comments from like Russians and Spanish and all over the world. And what does that mean to my business? It actually means nothing. So, why do you want to have followers? Like, what do, what's the goal? We're talking about a means to an end, rather than followers are not an end; they're a means. Yeah, so if you couldn't, I mean, the way Danny's done um, Instagram is is much better, and he's he's much more confident as well. Any video content, the the best hack you can have is is confidence. But he's done a lot. He's done very well marketing his you his Instagram locally with the hashtags and all of that stuff. He gets far more work through Instagram than I do. Um. So yeah, that's it. when it comes to getting followers. I mean, you can produce great content. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not the best person to ask, okay. um, but what I would say is be very clear on what your goals are because I've got now got loads of people that don't even speak the same language as me following me, and and I know that when I retweet something, especially about a local business, it doesn't matter. I might as well have a thousand followers. It doesn't make any difference. So if you can. Concentrate on on getting the followers that you want for your business that actually match your goals. I think that's the more important thing. Focus on, think about why you're doing it and, and what you want your followers to think and do. And because ideally, if it's just about your local sanding business, then you want people from your local area, whether they need a floor done or they're doing their own re renovations or not, you want 
local people to to know what you're doing and stuff. So that'd be my answer. Love that. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for coming on. Uh, great podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I look forward to listening to it. Oh, and I do want to listen to it. I did see your marketing for your, I think it was your last podcast. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it did sound juicy. Um, talking about how to grow your business, I think. Uh, something like that. I forget who it was now. Um, it might have been a previous one. I don't know if it was an ad that came up, but I'm going to check it out anyway. I think you've got a few, a few good podcasts that I need to listen to. So. I think we're on 90 now. 90 podcasts and done so. That is good because it's hard work. So, well done. Thank you very much. This podcast is run and produced by Cocktail & Co. To find out what we do, visit the website cocktailandco.co.uk or you'll find us on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook.